power to me is really about owning all parts of you. It's not power over someone. It's really standing in your own power, right? It's knowing who you are, what you stand for, and how you want to show up in the world. And that's why I created You Amplified. When people ask me, you know, about speech coaching or whatever, and I said, no, really owning your power is knowing all parts of you and not being afraid to take up space and to do it with certainty. <laughs> You're listening to Make Some Noise Podcast, episode 408 with guest Angela Chi. Welcome to Make Some Noise Podcast, your guide for strategies, tools, and insight to empower yourself. I'm your host, Andrea Owen, global speaker, entrepreneur, life coach since 2007, and author of three books that have been translated into 18 languages and are available in 22 countries. Each week, I'll bring you a guest or a lesson that will help you maximize unshakable confidence, master resilience, and make some noise in your life. You ready? Let's go. Hello there, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am so glad that you are here. This is the third time I have tried to record this introduction for you. I keep getting tongue-tied, and I think I need to just slow down. (laughs) I get so excited when I come on here to do these introductions. I'm just excited that you're here and glad that there are so many women who are embracing personal development and are on the path to living their best life. And this closes out, uh, today's episode closes out the Make Some Noise series that I was doing where I hand-selected several women to come on and talk specifically about confidence and how that relates to a lot of the topics in my book. Angela Chi is here. I'm going to tell you a little bit about her in just a minute. But first, I wanted to ask you, if you could, please leave a review for Make Some Noise, especially if you bought it from Amazon. It's like a verified purchase type of review, and I think they're more likely to show up. Or if you purchased it from Audible, same thing. And if you didn't purchase it from either of those places, another great place to do it is Goodreads, uh, if you use the app, obviously. And uh, I love Goodreads. You can follow me over there. You can see the copious amounts of fiction that I read. (laughs) If you like thrillers... If you like Chiclet, which I love, and yeah, you'll see all of the books (laughs) that I've read over the last few years on Goodreads. And the other thing I wanted to tell you in this intro is to congratulate the winners of the sharing contest. It actually ended a couple of weeks ago, and I wanted to congratulate the following people. Crystal Kordelchuk, I hope I pronounced your last name correctly, Tanya Ann, Stacy Price, Katie Turner, Christina Lynn, Colleen McSpirit, Robin Murnack, Carly Stevenson, Janae Anderson, and Tracy Cornell. These women were randomly selected and won co- uh, signed copies of my books, Amazon gift card, candles, journals, all kinds of fun things. Thank you so much to all of you who participated in that sharing contest. The the kind of big push is has kind of come and gone, but I just I'm so grateful for your support whether you're leaving a review on any of those places that I mentioned or participated in the sharing contest or even actually this is the last thing I wanted to mention participating in the free book club that's going on right now. It's not too late to join. Uh, When this episode comes out, we'll be officially starting on chapter two, but you can for sure come and catch up. Go to andreaowen.com slash MSN to sign up. All you need is a copy of the book. Doesn't matter which format. And I want to tell you this quick thing, which was so interesting. So last week, I posted something on the TikTok, and there was this trend happening where you just sort of stare at the camera and it slow zooms out and you put text on the screen and you type something that people can relate to, maybe something that's happened in your life. And I, so I did that and I typed out, when you realize you've spent your whole life being accommodating towards others at your own expense in order to avoid making others uncomfortable. And then in the next few moments, I said, And then you realize you don't know what you want in your life. And while that baby went viral, and I, you know, I didn't even speak a word at all in that video. It was all text on the screen. Like it was like a 10 second video. It's really interesting 
what takes off on TikTok and what doesn't. But there are hundreds of comments from women who are like millennial, Gen X, baby boomer age and saying me too, oh my gosh, this was me or this was me a few years ago. I'm on the road in therapy to to change this. I started setting boundaries, but a lot of hands raised. And and actually a lot of people came to the book club because they didn't know who I was before that. So they grabbed a copy of the book and are now in the book club. And I wanted to mention that because what fascinates me about that is the amount of people that could relate. I mean, it doesn't surprise me. In a way, it's infuriating as someone who is actively trying to push back on the culture that makes us feel this way and has us wake up one day and realize, shit, I have been living my life for everyone else. I've been running around like crazy, putting, making everyone else a priority, putting myself last. And you kind of pick your head up and look around. And for some people, it's they go through a major life transition, empty nesters, divorce, change in career, turning 40, turning 50, turning 60, and then realize, I don't know what I want. And I and I want to mention, too, there's this space of grief or frustration. There's an emotional place that happens there. And it's, again, it's the point of no return that I talk about all the time, that place of realizing something big, a behavior that you've been doing, a belief that you've been holding on to, and then kind of feeling stuck as to, oh my gosh, what's next? And not knowing what's next, or knowing what's next, <laughs> what you, you know, what, what what are the solutions? And being sometimes afraid, sometimes having trepidation about moving forward to try to move away from that place. And I always want to acknowledge that space because it can feel overwhelming and confusing. And I think the vast majority of us have been there. I've certainly been there more than once, for sure. I think it's part of the process. It's part of the process. Anyway, before I keep talking and keep talking and make this a solo episode, let me tell you a little bit about our guest today. Angela Chi is a media communication coach keynote speaker and MC, and the creator of You Amplified and host of The Power of the Only podcast. A former TV news anchor and reporter with more than 20 years of media experience. By the way, she uh, was a on the news in my hometown in San Diego. She now works with visionary leaders, executives, and entrepreneurs who are ready to own their power and their voice and amplify their message and mission through speaking, video, and media. Her speaking career started at age 15 when she was the first Asian American woman to win the title of Miss California National Teenager. Now Angela presents in inspirational and transformative keynotes and corporate trainings for Fortune 500 companies, universities, and professional associations on topics related to leadership, communication, women's empowerment, diversity, and media. So without further ado, here is Angela. Angela, welcome to the show. I'm so excited. We made it. Yes. <laughs> we had some technical difficulties last time, but I'm so glad that we are here and your microphone is so cute. For anyone that's just listening to this via audio, go check out the video because your microphone matches your outfit, which is super cute. And it also matches my book. So I love it. I, I love hot pink and I don't color coordinate all the time, but this is my color. So I found this really okay, cool mic cover. I thought of you when we picked the uh, the color. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's such a great color. I, I think it's a power color. Some people think it's, you know, for tweens, but I'm like, nonsense. No. No. Yeah, I love it. Okay. I want to kick things off with a bang and ask you about power because this is something that you work on with people. And what I'm most curious about is you telling me and the listeners is what does power mean to you as a woman? Power to me is really about owning all parts of you. It's not power over someone. It's really standing in your own power. 
right? It's knowing who you are, what you stand for, and how you want to show up in the world. And that's why I created You Amplified. When people ask me, you know, about speech coaching or whatever, and I said, no, really owning your power is knowing all parts of you and not being afraid to take up space and to do it with certainty. Have you always been like this as a child? Like, were your parents, you know, constantly trying to kind of rein you in or, or did something happen in your life that made you, you know, kind of tap into your power? What does that look like? And I think that's what's so special, right? It's not about power that like, oh, we were just born this way. It's kind of like, how do we tap into our own power? So no, you know, Mm -hmm. I grew up, I'm Chinese American, typical immigrant story. You know, my parents immigrated here in the seventies and, you know, I was always taught to not rock the boat, to play it safe. Um, I wasn't, I've always been really outgoing, but when I was little, I was like a shy Asian girl with a little bowl cut, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, you know, I really came into myself probably not until about junior high, but you know, culturally, I was taught to play it safe, to be quiet. And so finding my voice and finding my power has been a journey. And although I know that it's always been in me, but it is a process. So no, I didn't always own my power or my voice. That's so, I think we all had that bowl cut and you and I are around (laughs) the same age. And did you grow up in San Diego? I live in San Diego. I grew up in suburbs of Los Angeles. Okay. So not not far, Yeah, but I I feel like all across the country and probably in parts of Canada and even in Europe, that bowl cut was it. Well, it was like bangs, (laughs) right? But some foreheads aren't made for bangs. Like I have a really short forehead. So some people probably had really cute bangs. Mine was just like, you know, it was inexpensive. No one got their fancy haircut. My mom just trimmed it. Right. So it was like the Dorothy Hamm cut (laughs) for people who remember who that is. What do you see is the biggest obstacle that women face when they're trying to step into that power? And I would love to know if, if it's both, you know, external obstacles and also the internal stuff. What do you see? I mean, I definitely think it's both. So when I, when I work with my clients, I talk about the external, right? How do you show up? How do you stand? How do you communicate? But the deep stuff really is, as you know, you know, it's the internal, but here's even a deeper layer. So we think it's our voices, right? Our inner voices. We've talked about how to become motivated and inspirational and overcome our inner voices that are conscious. What about the subconscious ones? Now that's when you get to the deep part. So I don't want to go too deep, but it's kind of like, what part of the journey are you on? Right. Some people are just happy to go deep. Tell tell us like, if you don't mind, like, yeah, what do you, like, how do you get somebody to tap into those unconscious beliefs for someone that's just starting? It's kind of like external, right? Oh, I need to sit up straight. I need to, you know, not use my hands. I need to use my voice. That's all external. The internal is like, oh, well I say not so nice things to myself, right? We all have that inner voice, that inner child, something that wasn't met that, you know, we say we all have it. Now, what about the stuff? So for me, I don't have an issue with that. When I was younger, I had to really culturally kind of reprogram myself, right? So Mm -hmm. if my parents taught me to to play it safe, to not rock the boat, and then, you know, my seventh grade teacher was the first one that said, hey, you should do a speech competition. I was like, oh, okay. And then I really reprogrammed by doing, right? Mm -hmm. By doing it and knowing that you can do it, you sort of reprogram those voices and then you create a new voice, right? And then it goes on throughout your life. But for me, you know, I've always been super driven. And so all through my 20s, I worked my butt off to get into TV news, you know, and I became a TV news anchor and reporter. So you think, oh, she's broken through all her barriers. She has none of them. Well, then I became a mom, right? And I reinvented (laughs) myself. I became a mom. I didn't mean to burst out laughing, but just, (laughs) yeah, yeah, things get turned upside down. Mm -hmm. Right. And so if you're on the beginning of your journey, yes, it's those inner voices. But now that I've broken through all these different levels, right? I reached the top. I broke through all those barriers. You know, I believed in myself. I was confident. But now as a mom and an entrepreneur, I went through another transition. And now as my kids are turning into teenagers, it's like, oh, I've already worked through all that stuff, right? I'm confident. I have my own business. And then you're like, whoa, right? So this is the deep part. So first, honor what, what life stage you're at and also what level you're at in terms of how far you've stepped into your voice and your power. And so when I say that is that I'm still evolving. It's not like you reach this point where I've used these tools and I've reached the top of my career, right? And then you pivot and something happens or then you're, it's does, and it doesn't mean you're not enough right now. You already have everything you need inside you to shine right now but we continue to evolve. And as we hit those layers, and that's what I'm going deep on now is, so the unconscious ones I'm talking about is I'm going like generationally deep. So I've broken through those barriers that, yeah, great. My parents were Chinese immigrants. They worked hard. They told me to play it safe. I worked through that by doing, right? Mm -hmm. Getting on stage, doing every time it was successful. Oh, that's great. Every time I had a failure, I learned from it. Okay. But now the unconscious stuff is like, what haven't we dealt with yet? Right. Or what is, what if it's not ours? Right. So I've been diving deeper into intergenerational 
kind of trauma and things that, that we topic. don't even tell us more know. about that. Please, please. Yeah. Let's segue <laughs> over there. Tell, tell us well, everything. <laughs> we'll go deep. So, so I was just thinking about, you know, when uh, last year, two years ago, I did a lot of deep work on why am I still hitting that upper limit? Right. Cause mm-hmm. you have to think about that as successful women or not even successful, just empowered women. If you've done some work on yourself, you're like, I already got this. But then you hit this block, right? As you become more successful or bigger or step into more of your power, it's kind of new territory and you do hit an upper limit. And then you have to say, well, what, what is this? I already, already tackled this. And so the intergenerational stuff that I explored is last year, I did some deep work and was talking about just being a woman in society, right? Just, just the container in which you're in. And so I think that's, what's breaking open right now is that we, we know there's the system thing. Yeah. Women have been oppressed mm-hmm. for ages and, you know, fight for power and blah, blah, blah. But you're like, but I got it together. I'm fine. I've made it. But then you go deeper and you're like, it's still there. Why yeah. is it still there? Right. And so this past two years, I think we've seen that systems play a big role. Doesn't mean you can't be empowered and take on things, but systems, whether it's for, you know, uh, people of color, for women, they're still there, right? So if you're strong and the system's still there, how do you overcome that? But the unconscious stuff, so I think back, so uh, my recent podcast episode I recorded is like, how can we honor our past while still impact the future? So I was thinking back to like my grandparents, you know, mm-hmm. like my great, my great grandmother in the, you know, escaped war and chased bombs. And she was like an orphan. And then she made it over to China and then to Taiwan. And then my, you know, had my mom and then they had four kids, like all that stuff, you know, you're like, oh, that's like, that's just a story. The olden days. It's yeah. just the olden days, you know, but you think about that, that travels through, you know, there's studies. I don't know. I don't go deep into this. It's not my work, but yeah. you know, they say that it, you know, generational trauma carries through the DNA. Epigenetics. Epigenetics, mm-hmm. right? And I don't want to go deep into that, but it just made me think like, what can, uh, what is mine and what is not mine? And what can I clear to the best of my ability to know that's what's not mine, right? Because we keep hitting these same roadblocks and you're like, I've already dealt with that. Like it may mm-hmm. not be. And so it's just to, I think it's important to recognize where we came from. Yeah. And so the, the layer two is not just look at us like where, you know, where we get stuck. But that next level is looking like what what could have been in our ancestors or just in our environment or just as our society as a woman and what can we let go of? It's not ours. Yeah. Right. It's not ours to take on and to clear it. That's amazing. I'm mildly obsessed with this topic for a few reasons. Partly because, well, I don't think you know this. So this book is dedicated first to my daughter and second to, you know, in like one of the first pages, it says for my mother and her mother and her mother and her mother. And it's not that I think that, that all of my grandmothers would approve of a lot of the things that I'm saying in here, different (laughs) cultures, different generations. However, and I talk about this in the book, you know, the resiliency of what these women had to face that we will never know and that yes. we will never have to face just because of, you know, we're yes. living in modern times. Yes. And in some families, I think had it much easier than others. Some women were brought here against their will. Some women had to go through just terrible atrocities. Yeah. And that kind of resilience and trauma and also so much joy and wonderful things yes, happened. But yes. I do believe that that gets carried down and it comes up when we're, we're up leveling our lives. And yes. I'm also really interested in the mitochondrial DNA where you can kind of, where they map out like your entire maternal line all over the world. That's just fascinating to me. I mean, all um, that, I mean, we can go way deep on that, but I think what we want to take away with is like, like what is yours and what's not yours, but you honor the past, right? Like what I say about hardship and war and all that, but I have that resilience in me too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not just about trauma. We don't want to go too deep into that trauma because you're always, you're never always going to know what that is, right? And it's there's nothing about, you can do about it either. Yeah. Again. It's more about honoring that. Like, like they didn't have the opportunity to even speak. It wasn't, what do you, where do you go with it? Right. And so we have that opportunity. So we should take the positive, right. The resilience, the strength, you know, and I talk about that, you know, just like when, you know, as an immigrant child, I always lived in scarcity. We had okay money, but my parents worked really hard. And now Mm -hmm. I kind of have, you know, my kids go to the hotels with us and we travel and I always remind them, I go, look, I didn't travel a lot when I was younger. I didn't stay in nice hotels. And I also don't want to, to cap them either. Right. I remind them of where we came from, but you also, 
uh, don't want to cap that. So that whole scarcity issue, right? I have to overcome that a lot. Like, like, Mm -hmm. you know, I love the sales. I love buying things on sale. I'm still (laughs) not going to let go of that, but not a scarcity. When I want something, I am abundant enough to have it, but I came from a scarcity mindset and that's how I became successful, right? I became Mm -hmm. successful because my parents taught me to work hard, never give up the scarcity mindset, climb to the top, overwork. But at some point that peaks and then you start as women, you know, we burn out. And if you're still, you know, doing things the way we were taught to do them because they work for us. So all those things that they taught me, it worked for me until Mm -hmm. a certain point. And then you got to unravel it and go, what can I take the positive, but move forward with something different? And learn how to manage what's what's yours and what's not yours to carry. Yeah. I love that takeaway. I'm interrupting this conversation to bring you a few words from some of our sponsors. I know that each one of you listening understands that taking care of your body is crucial for living your best life. And that's why I want to tell you about a company that's helping me take better care of myself. And that is Banyan Botanicals. Banyan Botanicals is an Ayurveda company that promotes health through an array of products. It's a great place to start. I recommend taking Banyan Botanicals online dosha quiz. It's totally free. And in just 10 minutes, you'll receive personalized recommendations to help you feel your best. I plan on taking the quiz again in a few months because I took it several months ago and I want to see how my state of balance has changed. I have a few favorites of theirs and the Adrenal Nourish is one that I've been taking consistently. And since taking it, I feel like my nervous system can finally relax, y'all. You can go to banyanbotanicals.com slash noise and click the green button at the top to take the free dosha quiz for yourself today. My listeners, that's you. Get a promo code for 20% off your first order. Good site wide. Check it out at banyanbotanicals.com slash noise. That's banyanbotanicals.com slash noise for 20% off. You've heard many of the guests here on the podcast who are licensed therapists, and you know I encourage everyone to go to therapy. I'm proud to have BetterHelp as one of our sponsors because there's so many things I love about their service. When you sign up for BetterHelp, they'll assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. Their license Licensed professional counselors specialize in things like depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, trauma, anger, family conflicts, LGBT matters, grief, self-esteem, and their service is available for clients worldwide. I want you to start living a happier and more fulfilling life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at BetterHelp.com dot com slash kickass. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash kickass. And thank you for supporting our sponsors because that in turn supports this show. And if you ever miss any of the keywords or the discounts, you can go to andreaowen.com slash sponsors and they are all there. Well, talk, talk to us about your career a little bit. Like what are some obstacles that you faced Maybe in your 20s, as you were climbing the ladder, yeah. uh, you know, as a reporter, like, were there obstacles that you had to face that you look back on that you think that you did really well or didn't do well? Tell us about some of those experiences. Yeah. Well, you know, going back to the only, you know, I know my podcast, The Power of the Only, I talked about this is that I've always been the only one, right? The mm-hmm. only Asian girl growing up in an all American neighborhood. And I didn't have a problem with that. The only, at many times I moved to small markets. I had a market in Bakersfield and um, in Palm Springs and smaller markets. I was like the only Asian reporter. And now at big keynote events, I'm usually the only woman on a panel or the only woman keynote speaker. Wow, that doesn't still. bother me right? That's, I believe there's power in that. And so that's Mm -hmm. what I did with my podcast, the power of the only, I wanted to change the conversation. Yes, it's hard. I broke through a lot of barriers, but I believe there's power in being the only, and that's the conversation, the the mindset I want to shift with people. And so the barriers I broke through, um, if anything, I kind of lived in a little bubble. I think that because I was so driven when I was younger, I didn't see the system against me. I didn't see what I couldn't do. I always just like, I'm the only one. So, okay, 
Let's just go for it. And I know not everyone thinks that way. And that's why I started interviewing all these women. I was like, what is it about certain onlys? What did we go through that allow us not to see that as a limitation, even though it's hard? Doesn't mean we didn't work hard. Doesn't mean we didn't have barriers. Why? What? What's the difference? And I think that the challenges that we go through is our gift, right? Is mm-hmm. the strength. But you asked me specific challenges for me, but I actually really look back and I go, how did I do what I did? Because <laughs> I, I really think about now, I was like, wow, I was, you know, I was a reporter in Los Angeles, you know, the mm-hmm. number two market in the country. And I just did, right? I just, but I worked really hard and I hit roadblocks, but I kind of just went, oh, no, okay, go around. So to make it an, um, TV news, you really had to have a reel back then. There was no YouTube. There was no mm-hmm. cell phones. You had to intern for a long time, ask someone for a camera. And so at night, I would just, uh, I checked out books on broadcast journalism. I got a broadcast extension degree while I was working in Hollywood. So I was working at Entertainment Tonight, China. Mm-hmm. I was an assistant and I was sitting at my desk, just answering phones, doing the whole Hollywood grind. And I loved it because I learned everything. And at night I worked on my craft and the barriers were there was no job for me. Right. So I just had to drive. So I got one in Palm Springs. I drove every weekend to Palm Springs. So at that point, I didn't think I had inner barriers. It wasn't until I got back to Los Angeles. So I skipped over all the hard parts, but I worked seven days a week, drove, you know, worked two days a week in Palm Springs and five days a week in Hollywood because I still needed to make money and you don't make money as a reporter. But I got my reel and I got an anchor job in Bakersfield. And then I became the news anchor there and I worked my way back and I got back by the time I was 25. And that was a big deal for me, right? The hometown. But what I talk about mm-hmm. the inner barriers where I didn't, where I really got stuck is like, I started, I'd made it, right? That was end for me. I'm 25. I'm back in my hometown. I'm in, you know, mm-hmm. news reporter, but I was still living at home actually for the first couple of months. That was so funny because I hadn't had an apartment yet. But the first time I realized that I even had inner barriers and started doing some personal development work is I had a voice coach. And he said to me, he said, does being Asian or a woman affect your voice? And I said, excuse me, because I'd done no personal development work. I, I succeeded out of pure drive, grit and hard mm-hmm. work, not looking at anything. I can do anything. Push, 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 push. And it got me to where I needed to go. But now it's like, well, now you're here. Now what do you do? And so I looked at him like, what? What are you what are you talking about? Like, is he being like racist? Like, what is he trying right. to do? Like, what's going <laughs> on? What going do you mean? This? <laughs> and it was the first time I realized and I, I took a step deeper and I went, oh. And all those voices from my parents started flashing back. All those things of like, you know, my parents had tried to talk me out of TV news. They said, Asians can't do it. Your face is too flat. You know, they told me you could be like Connie Chung when you grow up because I always wanted to be like Connie Chung. (laughs) But then when it came down to it, they said, oh, it's dangerous or you're not going to get married or you're not like all those things. Right. And Mm -hmm. I had blocked all that out, but it started coming back and I go, oh, where am I playing small? So I broke through a lot of barriers by sheer grit, but those those voices, if you don't deal with them, they do come back. And, mm-hmm. you know, specific external barriers, of course, navigating, you know, the newsroom and navigating Hollywood. But I always had, you know, I always had this really optimistic outlook that I could do anything um, without being toxic positivity. And then I didn't even know what that was. I was just like, I really right. thought I could do <laughs> anything. That, you know, that works for a little while. I will say for a lot of people that works for a little while. Until it it works. And then yeah you start to heal it back. And so he gave me that first taste of like, oh, where where do I get stuck? Why do I still have those voices when I anchor? Why do I think about that? Why do I still have that voice that says I'm not good enough? I didn't even know I had them. And then he made mm-hmm. kind of crack that open. And then through the years, especially after I left the news. So in the news, I was just too busy to think about it. I was just like on yeah. fire and just driven. went. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so driven. I, I woke up at like 4 a.m. I did the morning news. I hosted like five hour shows. I didn't have space to think. Um, but the first time I did personal development work was really in my thirties. Um, it kind of broke me open and started dealing with like my parents, like, Oh, I need to honor my parents more. They actually are strong. I don't have to take care of them. There's a gift that they gave me. Not that they were a burden. I always felt my parents were a burden for immigrant children. I think sometimes, or not even just immigrant children, but depending on how you grew up or the roles that you played, Mm -hmm. I always had to be, I was the older sister. I had to take on a lot and it felt like a burden. And I learned to really appreciate all the gifts that they gave me. And no, they weren't a burden. They were doing the best that they could. So that was my first barrier I broke through in my 30s was honoring my past. That's how I honor Mm -hmm. my past. And then, you know, lots of other work after I became it all came tumbling down. (laughs) Yeah. And then when I became an entrepreneur, it all came up. Yeah. Right. That's a whole nother thing. That's a whole other journey. 
Well, it sounds like that's perspective work, you know, and just in shifting your perspective from feeling like they were a burden to, you know, there's, there's a whole nother way of looking at this. So I love that, that you kind of had that epiphany and just by the power of coaching him asking you that question that took you off guard that you probably didn't, didn't sound like you immediately had an answer to it, but when you really start to think about it, there's stuff there. Yeah. And that was, this seems so long ago right now. I'm done, done tons of work and different things, but now it's like that next level. But yeah, that was the first time where I even noticed that I had an internal voice. Well, speaking of voices, you, you know, you talk about the importance for women to own their voice. So what is that, what does that really look like for a woman, whether, you know, we're talking about doing the work to start Mm -hmm. that process of owning her voice or just out in the wild or both? You know, I really think owning our voice is really being feeling comfortable to speak up with certainty and again, mm-hmm. to take up that space. But I think it starts with taking a closer look of, of who are you? What do you stand for? And how do you want to show up in the world? And when people yes. ask me to be their coach um, for communication, right, for on-camera video and different things, um, we do that. You know, I set up the equipment and do all that. But then I, you know, it's really about, I want them to be you amplified and clear. Who are you? What do you stand for? And how do you want to show up in the world? And when you know that and you are aligned and you are embodied, the other things fall into place. So that's a personal journey, right? Owning your voice is a personal journey and knowing, you know, where do your voices come from? Where, what, what does stop you? Why, why do you believe what you believe? Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's the unraveling of the deeper work of truly owning your voice, right? There's the external part of like, you know, doing voice exercises, how to warm up. We were talking about how to warm up for a podcast before, how to sit up straight, how to look good on camera. But the deeper work is that part, right? Where did your barriers come from? What stops you in that moment? And how do you own that, right? How do you understand that awareness? And so that you can speak up with certainty because you are clear on who you are, what you stand for, and how you want to show up in the world. I love that. I hope everybody jotted those those questions down. That's such an important foundation. And it's one of those things where everyone needs to do that work, yeah. no matter who you are, what do you stand for, what's important about the way you live your life. And also... I I feel like that's helpful even for women who aren't necessarily interested in being entrepreneurs or being on camera or, or, you know, filming videos or whatever, because social media has really changed our lives. And I would say the vast majority of people are, are on some platform and that requires visibility. And whether you're just posting pictures of your 4th of July weekend or, you know, or you're yeah. stating your political opinion, it's, you know, there's no right or wrong way to show up on social media. But I, I know of a lot of women who are afraid to speak up about things, you know, whether they consider themselves a quote unquote activist or not, mm-hmm. but just that fear of visibility. And I, I think that before, personally, before I tell somebody to go take action or hold them accountable around it, yes. it's exactly what you said. It's about unpacking what's going on? Like, why? What? Tell me about the the beliefs that you have where that's unsafe. Yeah. You don't want to just, you know, and I, and when people say speak up, you speak up in the way that honors where you are at in your journey. Not everyone mm-hmm. needs to be an activist. Not everyone right. needs to it's be not big and bold, bold to be heard. You can share your voice in the ways that you feel comfortable in your own household, with your children, with your with your uh, spouse, significant other. Like it, it's when you are clear on what you want and have your boundaries in place and are clear and have done, it doesn't have to be deep inner work. It's just like, you know, what do I you know, what do I believe and why do I believe this and how do I want to show up? And that shifts too, right? I'm sure everyone's been through this whole journey and they're asking these questions of themselves right now over this past year. And it does go deeper. You know, I see, mm-hmm. I, I come, integrity is like my number one value. Do what you okay. say, say what you mean. I, I truly believe that. And, you know, it used to be that I, I don't think in my twenties I ever thought about that. I was like, okay, cool, whatever, you know. And I always like told I the to truth. Yeah. yeah, I always, you know, I always was honest and was on time and told the truth. But I mean, integrity in terms of would I not buy someone's product because I don't align with that? Would I would I make a stand and go out of my way to do something because it doesn't align with my values? I don't know that I would have done that when I was younger. It just wasn't a priority for me. Now it's like if if something starts to feel uncomfortable in your system, you're like. No, I'm going to step up. So integrity is really important to me. And when I'm out of integrity, it really bothers me. Like even like if I committed to your podcast and something else came up, I'm like, no, I have to be for me. That's for me. That's mm-hmm. my value, right? So what is your value? And then then you know when you feel uncomfortable what you need to do. It's like staying embodied in who you are. 
but it takes, yeah. but it doesn't have to be super deep. It's just kind of a, an, where are you at right now? Right. And how do you want to yes. show up? Yeah. I, I go on and on about values. I swear it comes up like every fourth podcast episode that I, <laughs> I talk about. It's just, it's foundational in personal development work. And yeah. I, I feel that um, people don't visit that exercise enough and, and also talk about what does that look like in their life? And like you said, it doesn't need to be necessarily deep, but, but when something happens, you know, how do you want to show up? Tell me about it. What, what in a scenario mm-hmm. or a circumstance that's really uncomfortable, what would happen for you to follow your values? And it's also interesting so my values are like my top values are responsibility, trust, and courage. And the way that you described integrity is not that all that different from mine. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting how people describe them yeah. and name their values, even though a lot of times we're talking about very similar things about showing up. Well, and I want to say something about that. Like when I when I work with my clients and I have them show up on stage, I have them pick four adjectives. Like, what is your you amplify persona? Doesn't mean you aren't all the 50 other things, but what words have power too, right? So it, for your, we may be reaching for the same thing, but if integrity brings up that energy for me, that's the word I want to use for myself. When you look at a page and you think passionate, right? To another person, passionate may not resonate. Empowered right. may resonate more. It may mean the same thing to them, but when you look at that word and you feel that word and you show, you're like, oh yeah. Right. So it's really about what resonates with you. And um, so words are super powerful. Yes, they are. Speaking of words, since you have so much experience in in your career and with speaking up and we just talked about value. So I'm sure that this is maybe part of the answer. But what advice would you give for a woman who's struggling to maybe speak up at work or in another career situation? Yeah. Well, first I'll do something really tactical, like just, you know, in the moment, what you can actually do. You know, people say, oh, how do I speak up at work? You know, the first thing I want you to think about without going into the deep level stuff is just what value can you provide in this moment? Don't get bogged down with everything. Like if you want to speak up at a meeting, what value can you provide to the audience or to that group? It's not about you. It's not about anything. It's like, if you have something to say, something comes up and you want to say it and you're like, oh, it's already been said. But Mm -hmm. just, just think, what value can I provide in this moment? And let the words come out, right? Whether you're on a panel for a talk or if you're just in the boardroom or you're at a meeting or you're interacting with people, if you have that fear, right? That overrides because you're like, oh, what I have to say is important and it provides value. It's not about me. It provides value. Um, Another thing I would say, you know, for people who get that nervous energy, you know, that thing that they feel, whether they're doing something big, like going on a podcast or speaking on a stage, or even just for some people, they get that when they're just speaking to another person. Maybe, you know, they have a little anxiety or whatever. Mm -hmm. I want you to think about not, not as fear, like not to call that fear. It's energy. It's energy because you're, you want to say something big, you want to do something different. It's your body generating the energy to do something, right? Mm -hmm. So it's actually working with you. Not like, oh, there's that, you know, not confidence again. Oh, that's that fear. That's that pit in my stomach. You know, words are powerful, right? What if it's the energy getting you ready to do something big or great, or just to speak your mind? It doesn't have to be huge. Yeah. And another thing I would say is just remind yourself that, you know, I've interviewed hundreds of, you know, politicians, executives, leaders in my news life. But now that I've gone deeper on my podcast, all of the, everyone struggles with imposter syndrome. Right. They struggle <laughs> That's true. to like, some extent. Yes. Some I agree extent. with that. And I don't even call it imposter syndrome. I don't even use that word because I think we all want to do better, be better, mm-hmm. know that we matter, that we we're doing, we're showing up our best. And so for some people, they just call it immediately imposter syndrome because they feel like don't, they don't belong for other people who have maybe they're, you know, best-selling authors already or speakers. When I talk to them and it comes down to it, they still struggle with it a little bit, but the ones that have done the work, like for me, I don't call it imposter syndrome. It's just, I want to do better. So how can you do yeah. better? I do the work around it. If I don't know, like if I'm on something or on a show or something where I feel out of my league and I don't know, then I know that's a signal to me that I need to do some more work to make sure that I do feel ready. So I don't think it's a bad thing. It's a good signal to feel sometimes like an imposter because maybe you have some more work to do. And then that helps you grow. But mm-hmm. never to make it say like, oh, you're horrible. You don't belong. Not that kind. So I don't even call it imposter syndrome. I just call it everyone has that. We have that feeling because we want to do better. Yeah. That's an interesting perspective. I like that a lot. And 
the the way a, a different a similar thing that that I have learned to do that is helpful yeah. in that regard when I find myself you know on a panel with people who have you know far more experience than I do yeah. around a topic and I'll feel that little bit of trepidation and sometimes yeah. intimidation it you know might feel differently to different people the way that they describe it. I remind myself that there is something that I am more of an expert at than all of these people on the panel. Yes. For instance, my own children's mental health, you know, <laughs> yes. even if it's something like impossible for them to know yes. about, because we all have these different, we have different superpowers. We have different skills. We have different competencies. We have, di- you know, different experiences, everyone. And and yes, yes, you know, you may be 22 or something listening to the show and, and not have as much life experience or just, you know, time on this planet. But still, there's something. We all have it to varying degrees, and that's what I think about. And it and it can be helpful. So I love you know just kind of putting all these different tools in people's minds. You live in your zone of expertise, and you can always grow and learn more. But yeah, I think that it's important to feel that. But I think when you know who you are, what you stand for, and how you want to show up in the world, you will be at peace with on that stage or with yourself. And then you don't have to fight those things, right? And know that this is my zone of genius. I don't know that. And that's okay. You know, I don't know that area that they know. And that's okay too. You know, and if it's something you want to do and it's tugging at you or it makes you feel either jealous or inferior, maybe that means that you want to go in that direction. So it's kind mm-hmm. of a, a signaling of maybe, okay, the then maybe I'll do, mm-hmm. I'll do more work in that. Then I do yes. want it. But if you don't want to, I let go. There's certain things where I just like, that is not my area. Like even when I was talking yeah. about intergenerational trauma, I learned from my mentors or whatever. That's not an area that I want to help people go deep into. That's not my area. I know enough to serve my purpose and how to help Your people mm-hmm. and to get people. But I don't want to do a deep dive into that because it's not my work. And that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. That's something I learned with experience so in the beginning of, of this career. I like many have had a few different careers, but you know, I would get asked questions either on interviews or I mean, one time I was I was um, hosting a workshop and the conversation like completely took a turn and they were asking me about something that was not in my wheelhouse. Yeah, and I remember feeling like I had to kind of hustle and scramble to come up with something that sounded okay, and I was stumbling around it. And then I and then they asked me like a follow up question and and I just was really honest and I said yeah. I would so love to help you with this and and I felt so afraid to say that, I just felt like, oh my God, they're going to think that, you know, why did we hire her? And she's stupid. This was a mistake. Of course, my inner critic was like, you should have an answer to everything. Yeah. I was really transparent and said, I would, I would love to, I can answer any question about this, this, and this topic, which is what we actually came there for. Yes. And, um, and it was fine. They, they didn't, yes. I, <laughs> the you bottom know- didn't drop out. I think when you're really clear, right? You know, I there's times when I'll do like pre-calls for talks and I go, what do you need? And I go, mm-hmm. I do this, I do that. That, if you want that, I, you know, so-and-so may be better for that. I don't actually go there, but I can touch it. You know, I like to be really clear with myself and clear with others. And if, you know, questions pop up on a panel, sometimes you can ad lib a little bit because you know the area, but you don't need to lie about it, right? You're like, right. oh, well, this is what I know. And that's actually something I teach in media interviews. If it's your topic, you should know it, right? You don't want to blank out on, you know, what sure. you're, you're teaching. But when it's something kind of out of left field or you get random questions, you're like, how do I handle random questions? You're like, well, here's what I do know, but mm-hmm. that, you know, or you pivot, right? You pivot out of the question or you say, I don't know that part. So-and-so is better at that. Or maybe you want to talk to John or, you know, Emily who, who, who specializes in that. And I think that's okay. People just want an answer because you could either be a resource. You could either just tell the truth and say, I don't know it, or I'll find out. You know, yeah. and I think that's all people want. Exactly. Yes. And and I I found that out that day. And since then, I'm always just really honest and I will connect yeah. them with someone who knows better or exa- do exactly what you said. But I'm like you, though. I do like to know a little bit about everything. So I do. I mean, right. that was like my news anchor days. I would just read and read. And I was like, why is that? How about that? I didn't know about that. And then I'll read like another Wikipedia article that leads to another article. So I know at least what it what they're talking about. So I think mm-hmm. it's that's fine, you know, to know context, but I don't dive deep. But yeah, I like to know everything too. <laughs> yes. At least be able to pronounce things correctly. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, ta- let's talk about money for a minute. It can be a sticky topic for yeah. women. And I'm so glad that we are sort of changing how the conversation is and that more women are starting to invest and things like that. But it's yes. still, it's still, we still have um some progress to make. 
Can you talk to us or, or give the listeners advice if they might be struggling with um, negotiating salaries or if they're an entrepreneur raising mm-hmm. their rates or if they're in a partnership having a hard conversation with their partner about money? What do you what do you say to that? Yeah, it's it's interesting, right? Because money is it goes deep. It's tied to all that owning your voice and your power. It's really a money mm-hmm. is just an expression of that, and it really goes back to you know f- for women in our society, we weren't. I mean, what was it? You weren't allowed to have your own bank account until like what nineteen seventy two. Seventy two. Yeah, that was the year my so husband a, was born. So a year before I was born, you couldn't have your own <laughs> bank account without your husband, husband. or your father's permission. Right. And so if you're not married or whatever, so I didn't even know that. Right. So I've always been like, oh, my money, I've always like make my own money, whatever, but Mm -hmm. it's there. Right. Those, those thought processes are there. And so for me with money, like, you know, I always came, like I said before, we talked about it, you know, as an immigrant child, I came from scarcity. So what's the deal? Buy things on sale. I broke through that when I became an entrepreneur and I started spending money on myself in terms of my personal development, making big investments, not, you know, but I didn't even do that right after I had the baby. My husband's like, well, why don't you do that? I go, oh, it's too expensive. Oh, I'll wait. Or I'll, you know, I, I had to struggle with that a little bit, even though, because, and it depends on what stage you're at. So I've always made my own money. I depended on no one. Right. And mm-hmm. even in the news business, I almost ran out of money. Like when I was in the small market and I had saved my account. And I was like, oh my God, I invested two years and I have zero money in my account. What am I going to do? And then I got the job in LA. So I filled my account, bank account back up. And I was thinking about like property and, you know, different things that I could do, but I wasn't rolling in it. I was still just surviving. Mm -hmm. And then it's interesting. So I've always been empowered with money, but then when you become an entrepreneur and then when you get married, right, if you get married, do we fall into those old roles? Who makes more? Who, roles. Who's mm-hmm. we, we fall into gender roles. So I've always, so I'm your typical poster child for empowered woman, but yet I'm an Asian woman and I grew up in this society and my husband's an executive. He does pretty well. And so do I fall into, I noticed that, oh, I was falling into my, the subconscious gender roles. If you ask me, I wouldn't say I was unempowered and he doesn't control the money. We, we we're partners, but why wasn't I spending certain things? Why was I afraid of certain things? And so for charging or whatever, that was the process I went through as an entrepreneur is really taking a deep look of where did these money stories come from? And they come from my childhood. We didn't have a lot of mm-hmm. money, right? So I needed to deal with that and I needed to spend on myself without fear, right? Spend that I deserved it. And also, so that's spending, but also asking for it, right? Raising my rates that, oh, yes. but sometimes that does take a little bit. You don't want to just have, you have to have the credibility and some experience underneath, right? When I first yeah. started and, coaching. And know how to negotiate. Yes. And so it is a learning process, right? I'm not saying that just, you know, just believe in yourself and ask for what you want. Just barge <laughs> in the door for $20,000 raise. Well, men, men do, you know, some people do. <laughs> and I don't think that that's what you need to do either. But if you have the credibility, You've had the experience, you've done the work, whether that's in corporate or you know you deserve it, then that last limit is you, right? Mm-hmm. If you haven't done all that, then maybe you do need to not, try, you know, be so like, maybe you need to do more work so that you feel confident. But once you've done amount, it's not about, is it worth more? It's about, you know, up here and what do you need to break through? So I'm still breaking, I did break through it several years ago, but I think people need to take a good look at like what's yours and what's not right? Where did Mm -hmm. your money ideas come from? How did you grow up? Also, what were women just knowing that women couldn't have bank accounts and that you've come such a long way, but now you got to own all that in yourself. And I really think it's a constant daily thing. So, you know, and then it gets reinforced, right? If you raise your rates and they say yes, and then you're like, oh, I've done that you know, a hundred times already. It's totally valuable. It's all subjective too, right? If you have a hundred thousand dollar salary, if some people make a million dollar salary, you talk to someone, you know, their starting salary when I started was like 25,000. But, you know, I talked to some executives now they're like, oh yeah, well, I got the million dollar paid. I'm like, you make a million dollars a year just in like a paycheck, right? It's like you keep up leveling of what you feel your system can handle. So, but you constantly have to up level. I actually thought about this. I thought, the other day I was thinking about hotels. <laughs> so funny. This is so funny. Luxury is a revel enjoying and having pleasure and taking advantage of luxury for me is a revolutionary act in itself. And the reason I say that is because I was looking at booking at hotels. And when I was younger, we didn't stay in nice hotels, right? Mm-hmm. And 
the fact that you can, it's not that you can't afford it. Sometimes you, everyone can afford, you know, if you make, you can afford a nice night, but you're like, what are you going to cut corners on? What are you going to deny yourself? Because that's how I was raised. Right. And so I was like, just having the $35 salad is like a revolutionary act. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right? Sometimes service. Uh-huh. And I'm not saying that you should, you know, if, if you're struggling with money right now, I don't think, but I just mean that once you've become successful and you've worked really hard, why are we always shortchanging ourselves for what we ask for, shortchanging ourselves and what we think we can afford and scarcity. Oh, but I'll do that for others, but not for me. And those are daily habits that I remind myself when I go, no, I'm going to do this for myself because I can. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean go charge crazy, charge your credit card. I just you know, <laughs> don't I'm, have a $35 salad every meal, right? yeah. but, but <laughs> unless, like, you, unless you want to, unless you want to. And <laughs> it's okay, but it's hard. It's like a battle, you know, not, mm-hmm. it was a battle for me. Like, Oh, but I'll just not, you know, or even, you know, as you, you keep up leveling. So wherever level you're at for you, it could be like when I was in high school, it was like going from Taco Bell to like a $10 meal. Right. right. And then it was like <laughs> to El Torito's, <laughs> Ooh, you know, it's like, Oh wow. You know, the Olive Garden. And now I'm like, Ooh, Olive Garden, you know, so <laughs> you keep up leveling yourself, but it's that daily reminder. So I don't know if that answers your question about money, but it's really important to take a look at what are those messages and what can you tell, what can you up level to? And yeah. Once you become successful, you have to upgrade your whole system to match it. And that's what's hard. I agree wholeheartedly with everything you said. Yes, that does answer the question. And, and it goes right along with what I talked about in the money chapter in my book. And, and really, all the chapters are full of questions. That one is probably full of the most questions yeah. because it starts with unpacking your relationship with money, which started in childhood, whether you are conscious of it or not. Yeah. Personally, I I didn't have, you know, people in our circles talk about their personal development work and, and people are, a bunch of my colleagues about six years ago, it was like the thing to do to unpack your money story. And people okay. had very clear money stories, you know, whether one of my colleagues was raised by a single parent that wasn't getting any spousal support, or I have another friend who her parents were missionaries so that she always felt like a charity case and had to have hand-me-downs from her neighbors and they were very clear. Yeah. Mine, not so much. I'm like, my parents never talked about money. We always had Mm. enough. We weren't wealthy by any stretch. We stayed at motel sixes when we went on, (laughs) on vacations to like the grand Canyon. Yeah. It wasn't fancy, but I I did end up um, uncovering a very poignant story in my life that happened later on in high school. And, but my point is, is that yes, you have to unpack these money stories and I mean, you can even just, if you don't want to read my book, you don't have to, you can just Google like how to do emotional work around money Mm. or unpacking money stories, unraveling money stories, that type of thing. I so agree with what you said about the gender roles around money. I was talking about this on another podcast episode recently. And I think for some of us, we get advice from our parents Mm -hmm. that we hear and we we take it and we run with it, whether it's good advice or or bad advice. And hopefully it's good advice. And my mom gave me really great advice when I was young. And she said, don't ever rely on a man for money. Always have your own money, you know? And and it was an empowering message that I heard her say, I heard her say that more than once. You know, she had an experience where she was a single mom in the 1960s and and it was really difficult for her. I did not take that advice. (laughs) I didn't put that into action. Like Mm -hmm. I grew up and unconsciously expected men to rescue me and take care of me. And it it was like, you know, just some internalized patriarchy for the win there and just was waiting for my knight to shut, you know, to show up on his white horse and and whisk me away and get me out of financial trouble. And, you know, always calling my dad to to bail me out. Mm. And I thought like, where did that come from? Because my parents surely didn't didn't teach me that. And my mom explicitly told me not to do that. And it came from our culture, you know, And, and I have to say like, as cliche as this might sound, but movies like Cinderella and, you know, damsel in distress type of stories, like these tropes that we grow up hearing and, and yeah. romanticizing that, like, it makes me want to just barf now, <laughs> but it's well, the truth. And I'm embarrassed to say that, you know, as an empowered feminist now, but just, it's just where I was at. And yeah, okay. I still, uh, you know, my husband and I, he is the stay at home parent now, and I'm the sole breadwinner. And when we made that transition, I told him ahead of time, I said, I think that we can really love the idea about it 
and we can plan as much as we can ahead of time. But when this really happens, when you have your last day at work and you are staying home and you're starting to learn all the ins and outs of this household that I've been yeah. taking care of, and I'm the only one working, we are likely going to have some disagreements. <laughs> and we need to yes. be very transparent about what's going yeah. on. Because he and I had never up until then had a conversation about gender roles. Like, what did you see growing up? Like, what do you expect of me? And I, I had to take like my foot off the gas and say just tell me whatever it is. And I promise I won't get upset. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's hard, really hard right? when, you're, when you're, when your husband is really honest and say, says, I, I unconsciously grew up thinking that the mom should take care of everything. Yes. You know what? So I, I just need to touch upon this a little bit. So, you know, as we evolve and, you know, my husband is in an, an totally a great partner. He's empowered. He puts women in, you know, leadership positions, all that stuff, but he grew up how he grew up. And he has a mm-hmm. totally feminist, hippie mom, everything, right? He's like, what do you mean? I think that way. Do you know how I grew up? And we get in these arguments and I go, stop for a second. I go, but you still grew up and swam in the water that everyone mm-hmm. swam in, you know? And that's the difference that's we're seeing in the last couple of years. Before it was like, there was people that are empowered and people that aren't empowered, feminists right. and not feminists, you know, good guys and bad guys or whatever. And now we realize that it's not so cut and dry. Like I'm empowered, but there's things that I do that are don't align with what I think I should do. Or even my husband, he is your your great partner. He's super supportive. But there's moments where I was like, did you just say that? Or did, yeah. you, did you, is that really what you expect? Like, he's like, oh, no, no, I didn't mean that. I'm like, oh, no, you did. You did mm-hmm. mean that. Because you Unconscious up, sexism. Yeah, yeah, you grew up and he's not sexist at all. Like, but he grew up the way he grew up. And we, we still haven't worked through that. We have these debates a lot. And I go, I'm not going to do a fight right now. I go, and the first time I told him, uh, my husband's white. And we were talking about the word privilege. This was three years ago before all the Black Lives Mattered. He's like, what mm-hmm. are you talking about? I grew up poor and da, 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 da. He was like going off. I go, but on paper, he went to an Ivy yeah. League school. He's fairly like successful, attractive. You know, I go, on paper, you look like, and he's like, what do you mean? And I go, we're not going to have this discussion right now. And then when everything happened these last couple of years, he looked at me and he's like, I get it. But it takes mm-hmm. a while. Same thing now with the gender roles and like the unconscious stuff that we do in our own homes, right? If I wasn't married, I would always take care of myself, whatever. But what happened when I got married? Did I take my foot off the pedal, right? I I took care of my, and you just have to be conscious about that. I took my foot off the pedal and I stopped working, but not because um, of any reason other than I was burnt out in news and I really wanted to start something on my own. And I didn't see that it was um, like, it was just intense for what I was making. I was like, I'm good. I want to be with the Mm -hmm. kids. I'm going to have, I'm going to host, I'm going to speak. I'm going to do all these things that aren't, you know, 24 hours a day starting at 4 a.m. or 3 a.m. in the morning. But I lost my identity and it was really hard to rebuild that. And then that's when you fall into those subconscious society things, gender roles. So wherever people are at in their journey, it's interesting, right? You can be empowered and still fall into that and have to fight through it. And um, yeah, it's fascinating. And I think it's a never ending, by no means, I'm not going to use the word battle, but that's the first word that came up. (laughs) It's it's a never ending cycle, I think, of of growth and of, of evolution and in some ways, a revolution to you know order that expensive salad or, or buy the <laughs> expensive hotel room. I remember. I just want to touch on that really quick yeah. when you were telling that story about about the the fancier hotel, because I grew up similarly. Like we had we had just enough, um, yeah. and never never we didn't go on fancy vacations. It yeah. was like I said, never. it was like yeah. to to Palm Springs and <laughs> to the Grand Canyon, things that were kind of local. Yeah. And we stayed at like Motel 6 and, and things totally. like that. And they always had a playground, so I was fine. Like I didn't know we never stayed the Four Seasons. I didn't know any different. <laughs> we used to go to uh, Vegas because Vegas used to be cheap, and I think the hotels were like thirty-five dollars, where they circus, had like circus. where uh-huh. they had like the beds that like like with the coin. Yes, <laughs> with the mirrors on the ceiling. Wherever, you know, and it was okay. Vegas was a cheap place back then, but it was funny. I was like, I it went to Vegas because they had buffets and they. Had, yep, I remember circus, circus, and like five dollar so meals. It's so funny. Yes, and, yeah, we did the same thing. We had the same eighties <laughs> childhood. Yes, but I remember when I was in my very early twenties, and I had made a reservation at the Hard Rock Hotel, mm. and and it was maybe like a two hundred dollar a night hotel, which was so much money for me yes. at the time. It felt you know it was the most I had ever spent yeah. on a hotel room, and something happened where I had to cancel, and I wasn't getting my money back. I was so upset. I was so mad. And I was talking to my boss about it. I worked as an assistant buyer in a buying office. And my boss said to me, I was ranting and and all upset. And then she's like, Andrea, she's like, what if it's just money? 
And I was like, what? You know, this is two hundred dollars. I'm not yes, getting that. It was a symbol like of everything cheated. I stand for in my. You and know. she's like, you know, I'm not saying that that they what they did is right, and it's out of your control, and it's just money. She said it is a renewable resource. You can make more, and I I remember that advice, and it, I feel like it was really great advice because we put so much power into it, and yes, it does have power, but I think her point was you are at choice whether to get that upset over it. You know, have you contacted them? Have you done everything you could to say what it is that you need to say to argue your point? And if you're not getting anywhere, what if you just change the perspective and then it's just money? Personally, that was incredibly helpful because it allowed me to to not have it hold so much power over me. And when I get really upset and nervous and anxious around money, I tell myself that. I think of Sharon and I think, Andrea, it's just money. It's just money. And I think, but we also have to be careful of where people are at. I remember when I was struggling, when I was a reporter, like literally budget was like, can I make the rent? Can I make my car? You know, I was on TV already, but it was like, ooh, I'm running. Like I was very, now once you have like, you know, a, a nest egg or you have a home, it's different. It's right. more visionary and bigger picture. But I do remember those times of why um, I struggled, right? Because every penny counted, right? It, mm-hmm. it counted, right? The, the the $200 could be like, you don't make your rent. Oh, I've been in that place too, right? with two babies in a brand new business. Totally. Yes. And that's, <laughs> I know and what that's, that's like. You have to honor that. But what's important to recognize is when you're out of that zone, don't stay with those emotions, right? Don't don't mm-hmm. go back to that place where you were about to lose your job or you're about, right. if you're in that place, it's important to honor it because there are things that you need to do and be more scarce about. But if you're not, that's the point. It's like when you're not in that space anymore and we're still reliving, you know, that scarcity, that's when you got to check and go, it's just money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm, I'm so glad you, you made that that nuance and talked about that because yes, and I've been, you know, in that place where $200 was an enormous amount of money. Yeah. I remember even when $30 was an enormous amount of money when I had two babies in a business. That was one of my things where we were, we wanted to go out and have pizza mm. and we couldn't. And I was like, you know what? I don't want this to ever happen to us again. Like, yeah. I don't want to be in this place. And so I used that as motivation personally yes. to be able to um, to go after my own goals. And, um, but yes, it's so emotional. It's so mm. emotional. And I don't know if everyone puts that much thought into it. People think just like money is money. Yes. If you have more of it, that's great. If you don't have a whole lot of it, it's not great. It's like, it's so much more layered than that. So layered. work. But also I think it's important to celebrate our little wins. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know that we're wrapping up soon, but just real quick, I, I it's a flashback to when you talked about Motel 6s. When I was a reporter in Palm Springs, I had to stay in Motel 6s because I didn't make that much money. And I stayed out there every weekend. So I booked out like all the Motel 6s and I'd rotate in case there was someone following me. And I would go look at the Palm Springs. It was like the the Marriott, the desert, the big Marriott, the resort. And we would go there and go I to Costas. I think I know exactly which one you're talking We'd about. We'd go to Costas. And I remember staying in the Motel 6 because it was the cheapest. And it still wasn't that cheap. I think it was some nights it was like $100 or something. Mm-hmm. Or but I'd go, I'm like, oh, we're at the, the Marriott, you know? And so I remember just two years ago, three years ago, I did a keynote at this large convention and I was the the host and the MC of the whole event. And it was at the Desert Springs Marriott with my whole room. <laughs> and I just remember driving by all in my flashing back to when I was, you know, had my, I was making, I don't know, like $10 an hour and, you know, working seven days a week and driving by the Motel 6 and trying to be who I wanted to be. And then I come back, I'm like, oh, now I'm the keynote for this whole event. Oh, mm-hmm. that's interesting. But to celebrate those little moments of growth, right? And and not yeah. to live in the past, but to honor that. I think it brings it full circle. Honor the past because that was mm-hmm. so, I had such a good time having no money and working seven days a week and it was hard and I learned stuff and, you know, it was a struggle. But then on mm-hmm. the other side, also celebrate how far you've come and then live in that. Live yeah. in that. Now I can buy the $30 salad and I'm not going to not make rent, right? I can Get your lay salad, by Angela. the pool, live by, <laughs> lay by the pool. And then I'm not even going to book the Marriott. Maybe I'll book the, you know, whatever the Ritz next time, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, once you get to that point, it's important to celebrate how far we've come to. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Well, I would love if you would tell everyone where they could find you. I think you're at Angela Chi TV. Is that right? Yeah. So all on social, all social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube at Angela Chi TV. And then my website is AngelaChi.com. And I'd love for you to tune into the podcast, The Power of the Only. 
And that's on all platforms. And we're just diving deep into new conversations with leaders, breaking barriers, defying the odds, and creating change. And it's really the place where I'm exploring different conversations. I do solo episodes on how to own your voice and your power, as well as interview top leaders. Um, and it might be a book at some point. So tune in. Hey, I love that. I'm so glad you have a podcast. It's it's so I mean, the more you're on audio or video, the better, my dear. So I'm super glad to hear that. Oh, thank you so much. It's such an honor to be here and have these these deep conversations. But yeah, I go deeper in the podcast because there's that space. We'll put all those links in the show notes to your site and your social media handles and all that good stuff. And listeners, thank you so much for joining me. You know how grateful I am for your time and that you choose to spend it with me and my guests. And remember, it's our life's journey to make ourselves better humans and our life's responsibility to make the world a better place. Bye for now. Hey everyone, thanks again for listening to the show. And just a quick reminder that if your company needs a speaker or a trainer, I might be the right person for you. I speak and do keynotes on confidence and resilience for mixed audiences, as well as do trainings on The Daring Way, which is the methodology based on the research of Dr. Brene Brown. So if you think it might be a good fit, hit me up at support at andreaowen.com or head over to my speaking page, andreaowen.com slash speaking.